welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson, and with me is... Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. So on today's Christians of History episode, Lucas and I are still together in person in Massachusetts, though we won't be when this episode officially drops on Friday. Uh, It's Monday right now. Uh, So we thought since we're together, we'll do a Christians of History episode that's a little different. So instead of just one person talking about the Christian of history, we'll sort of go back and forth uh, discussing a man named Roger Williams. And it's Mm -hmm. fitting because we are in Providence, Rhode Island, which is the town that he helped co-found. So uh, that's kind of why we chose to talk about him. Plus, looking him up, he has a very fascinating and interesting life. So Yep, yep. And he's definitely, like, left his mark, you know, as the founder. I mean, there's the Roger Williams Zoo, Roger Williams University... I mean, as we were driving around, I feel like I saw his name on all kinds of signs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's really cool that his name is on all kinds of signs because in a lot of ways he was, had a fascinating life and it was also just a really, you know, interesting and uh, cool person who was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, I feel like, at least looking back, I think that's how we would, we would maybe describe him. For sure. And especially in light of like, you know, statues getting torn down and people Mm -hmm. sort of like digging up all the old dirt on you know dead people <laughs> like uh that's a bad phrase i don't know <laughs> um but you know what i mean like they're they're finding out all these things and it just it seems like this this man was way ahead of his times cared about a lot of things that people of his day did not care about which which we'll get to so right we'll we'll begin with the place that you should always begin when someone is born uh roger williams was born in london england uh, around 1603 um, but the exact na- the exact date we don't know because uh, those records were actually lost in a uh, the Great Fire of London, which happened in 1666. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but his his father was a merchant tailor. Um, he he had a, a spiritual conversion at an early age. Uh, his father wasn't really liking that. I think his father wanted him to sort of be um, maybe in law, if mm. I sort of read that correctly. Um, but he, he was very gifted, very smart and intelligent. He had a gift especially for languages. So it, it says that he was, uh, at an early age, he was at least familiar with Latin, Hebrew, Greek, Dutch, and French on top of, I'm guessing, also English, being from England. Um, so he, he lived in London. Uh, if, you, if you know your history at all, this is sort of in the, I guess, the the area of history where people were, were moving to the new world, trying to get away from um, perhaps religious oppression. So he continued to butt heads with the, the Church of England that he was under well in England and sought to uh, find a place with religious freedom. And he you know, had heard that the new world was a good place to go. He knew that some Puritan leaders had planned to migrate. So he did not join the first wave, but decided uh, that he would go... Um, kind of during the second age. So I believe that um, that they left in December of 1630. So he was in his you know, late 20s as he headed to life in America. Yeah, and so he, Roger, and his wife, Mary, arrived on February 5th, 1631, um, to Boston. So two months? Is that December yeah. to February? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just some sailboats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> crazy yeah so after a, a, i'm sure a very uncomfortable 
couple months at sea. They arrived uh, at the beginning or early bits of 1631 in Boston, uh, in the what was at the time not Massachusetts, the state, but the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, and during, you know, during his time in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, he still had all of the you know previous sort of views on on freedom of of worship and and religious freedom and you know that led him to butt heads with the local authorities just as it led him to butt heads with the authority authorities and the the church leadership wouldn't it have been like the same authorities like overall because it was still colonies at this point wouldn't the authority Mm -hmm. have still been you know whoever your authority was back home so yeah because the massachusetts bay colony was the the like I don't know the right phrase, but like the officially sanctioned by the king, you know, colony of, you know, local representation of the crown or, or right. whatever. Um, so he, uh, he associated, I think, you know, because they were obviously a little more interested in being maybe not so closely associated with the king and with the crown, he associated um, not with the, with the sort of establishment church in the colony, but with the with the separatist Plymouth colony, um, and you know, if you remember, I'm sure we we all probably had this unit at some point in in history and school and stuff about the pilgrims who wanted to worship in their own way, and so they came to the New World and they landed at Plymouth, and there's the Plymouth Rock and on the Mayflower and all that stuff. Um, but he he spent his time during these these years when he was in Massachusetts um, as a preacher he preached in um, I believe first it was first it was Salem and then was at Plymouth and then he was back back at Salem so uh, Plymouth obviously the Plymouth colony very significant Salem as you might remember it was home to the the Salem witch trials so also a very significant you know historic part of historic town city and and part of the colony um, so it's kind of interesting to see these really important, significant historical names of places coming up yeah. in, in Roger Williams' story as well. It's just, you know, it's just interesting how people and places in history seem to kind of, you know, make appearances yeah. t- together when we read about them. But um, even though he was able to, obviously, as a preacher, he, he was able to find some friends amongst the people in the colony, his his... <laughs> it wasn't it doesn't seem that it was all smooth relations and eventually those those kinds of um the friction that came between between him and the authorities bumping heads basically um ended up leading to him needing to to get out of town <laughs> kind of um uh it, he he was going to um be deported back to England basically just kicked out of out of the the colony um and instead of instead of going back to England he he kind of I'm not sure if he if this was an option that he had or if or if he if he knew there were people living there or if he just wanted to escape because he didn't want to go back to England but he instead went to what is today Rhode Island um and specifically ended up making his way to what is today Providence Rhode Island and um, eventually the this you know the settlement that that he helped to found became the city um, of Providence and 
it's kind of a fitting name. He, he felt it was um, God's providence that led him to this, you know, this area where he was going to be able to settle and not have to worry about being, you know, under attack all the time. <laughs> yeah, persecuted for for his expressions and his beliefs and stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he, so I'll just add that. Yeah, he. So during this time, his third child, they actually named Providence, which was actually the first child to be born in this new settlement, which is is kind of cool too. But Williams really wanted this settlement to be a haven for those that were distressed of conscience. Um, so, like you said, it, it soon attracted a collection of dissenters and. Um, you know, people that had those differing opinions because the Church of England, I mean, if you think about it, that was all that those people would have known growing up. I mean, it was it was like the state church, right? Like, so England was run um, by the the Church of England. And, mm-hmm. and so to to grow up under that rule and that um, and oftentimes oppression it was, to, to come to the new world, to still have those lingering you know, undertones for, for Roger Williams to, to be a separatist, to be a Puritan, to, to desire to, um, you know, have freedom of worship to, in his mind, I mean, he, he honestly, like, he said that he thought that the Church of England was irredeemably corrupt, and he believed that one must completely separate from it to establish a new church for the true and pure worship of God. That's a pretty strong and bold stance to think that, the Church of England is irredeemably corrupt, that there is just so much going on that it, there's no way that it can be fixed or changed. So you need to like sever ties completely mm-hmm. and establish um, this new thing, right. which would have been really hard to do when you're in a colony that is being led and funded and controlled by that very Church of England. So, and it kind of shows how, you know, that that strong language of of pointing to a church body as not even just saying something's corrupt which is pretty strong language but irredeemably corrupt shows you know the sort of the source of a lot of that tension in terms of his views around um, what the church and the state should look like what um, you know the relation between worship and religion and government and law should be and you know in his um a book that he wrote called the bloody tenant of persecution. Um, he, he actually argues, you know, in language that I'm sure is very similar to a lot of us, but he argues for a quote wall of separation unquote between the church and the state. And that the, you know, one of the things that was so quote unquote dangerous to, to the authorities was the fact that he, um, held to, you know, quite, steadfastly the the idea that um the government the magistrates they they weren't the ones who ought to be interfering in religious matters and to us americans you know that's something that probably almost feels like a no-brainer it probably feels like almost like a like we we would take it for granted we wouldn't think that someone would need to make a case for that but right or wrong you know not not making any judgments on that just the the point is at the time that's not the way that european culture had developed and churches that were not established by the civil magistrates were not the norm right you know and and even going back earlier than roger williams in the 1600s and even and you know not just talking about the church of england or the colonies here in, in what would become united the united states but um across you know i think of the anabaptists being persecuted by the Swiss reformers and um, 
the the Catholics and the Protestants in Germany banding together to suppress the Anabaptists and um, in the, you know earlier during the the more height of the of the Reformation in Europe. So it's it's just kind of you know we see how strongly Roger Williams you know held to these views that at the time really were setting him apart you know in terms of how people thought about the government how right. people thought about the way that society and the church w- was set up well even um, like even more than that i mean those are all really important things things that people fought for and and, and desired but uh, perhaps what sets him apart more than anything else is actually sort of his attitude towards the people who were in this land i mean we, we sometimes think that like I mean, I hope no one actually thinks this way, but it, it sometimes think it sometimes seems like people think that when, you know, these people traveled from England, from Spain, from France, wherever they are coming from to these new lands, that they just arrived, there was no one here, and they just set up shop. But we know that that's not what happened. But there were um, natives who were here. There are people who who have been living here for a long, long time. And so I'm I'm gonna butcher um, how to pronounce the 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 native tribe, but the um, Narragansett I think Indians? the Narragansett I think Narragansett there you go so I don't know if that's right <laughs> yeah Narragansett either way this this um this tribe of natives who were here um he was he he created great friendships great bonds and actually um was somebody who sought to like treat them fairly like if we were mm-hmm. going to take these lands and I mean take sounds really aggressive but like he if we're going to be moving here he thought that we need to be paying them or at least being in in contact with them um in the process we're not just going to take it from them um you know he he one of the things he wanted to do was uh correct the english attitudes of superiority like you know a lot of the english who were coming here saw themselves as superior and like as entitled to this place and so he is even quoted as saying boast not proud english of thy birth and blood thy brother indian is by birth as good of one blood god made him in thee and all um, as wise, as fair, as strong, as personal. Um, so that's sort of like maybe the old English way of saying is like these people who are here were created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Their blood is no different than the blood in your veins and they are even more entitled to this land than you are because they're the ones that were here. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something that sets him apart as as rather distinct. He was, you know, he was a staunch advocate again for religious freedom, separation of church and state, but he really wanted to see fair dealings with the natives who were here um, and he was also one of the first abolitionists, which is, is quite interesting, too, mm-hmm. um, because if we think about, you know, this is this early six, well, early to mid 1600s. Right. So we, we're not even established yet as states or even yeah. there. Are, I mean, it still as colonies were growing, uh, yeah. but as being one of the early, you know, abolitionists, someone who was opposed to the slave trade and um, slavery being established. It's kind of interesting to think of a white man from England to be holding those beliefs and defending them defending them so ardently is pretty pretty cool definitely and and i mean going back to the way he interacted with the native americans that that he came into contact with just it you know it's something that i feel like we might not notice but just the idea that he purchased the land that he found founded providence on from the native american tribe who was were living in the region at the time is pretty radical compared to like the at least my understanding of what the normal sort of you know the the mo for interacting with and and moving into new land that, right. that the settlers and the col- the colonists you know at least 
before and 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 i think you know like i I do think in a lot of ways it seems like roger williams was a bit of an anomaly Mm. not just not just the first but also like you know after him it's not like after roger williams everyone started treating you know native americans as another sovereign nation of fellow humans um even even though he did or at least seems to have made efforts to um in his own dealings with them um so yeah it's just it's just really really fascinating to see you know he's one of these figures that is so different than a lot of things you know not that he was some angel or that he was perfect or he didn't have things going on that that you know we would look down upon you know just like just like anybody in any part of the world at any time in history but the point is that you know there are we can look at his life and maybe we would disagree with with his theology or or i don't know or maybe we would disagree with his you know the way he went about dealing with the authorities um who he had conflicts with but or maybe we would agree it doesn't really matter but the point is he was so different in terms of his views of the church the state the way that he treated other people that some people didn't even treat as people let alone you know people to be respected and and dealt with in a in a you know with integrity that hopefully you know today we can look back and and be like that should have been how you know at a minimum (laughs) everybody should have at least been treating the native american tribes in new england like roger williams treated the narragansetts and well, yeah. I, th- I think it's just fascinating because, I, I, you know, in, in reading a little bit about just the, you know, being in Providence, some of the, the neighboring communities and places, you know, we were driving in the last couple of days being here in Providence, um, you know, this region sort of became, you know, a haven for some people, um, but it still very quickly stopped being that, you know, it, men only live so long, they can only do so much. And even in his, in his lifetime, there was some like, you know, butting heads over, mm-hmm. over these things. And um, there were agreements that had been established that, like, after these people either passed away or, um, you know, lost control of the, you know, government position that they held or whatever. It just, it notes here that, you know, one of them, isn't Newport near here? Like, mm-hmm. that's one of the places that is near here. Um, it, it says that um, that after, in, in 1700, after his death, uh, that Newport finally entered into the African slave trade and it mm-hmm. became the leading port for American ships carrying slaves into the colonial america um which is just like so sad like this area that like you know roger williams tried so hard to um you know not just as an abolitionist but as to treat the people who are here fairly um it's sort of sad to see his his legacy his work um go to waste so quickly Mm. and i think i mean obviously there's you know time and energy does not allow us to plumb the depths of of these matters because we we know that as as christians these are deeply concerning that there are people who carry the name of Christ yet were trading people and right. mistreating uh, the people who had already been here. And I um, mean, you know, those are things that maybe will be discussed at a future date, but um, I think it's at least like we said, um, worth noting the, that that's not the character of every person who was here. And it's, yeah. it's, it's cool to see that there are people who, um, who fought for true freedom and true Liberty, not just freedom for me and to right. have my comfort. So, right. Yeah. Um, if you want to read a little bit more, um, I would highly recommend the um, just what's easily accessible online. The the Encyclopedia Britannica entry on Roger Williams isn't very long. Um, there's a nice, again, not very long biography of Roger Williams um, 
on Roger Williams, rogerwilliams.org, um, the Roger Williams Family Association. Um, and uh, again, also um, a book that, that came up as we were looking over was that he wrote was The Bloody Tenet of Persecution. Um, I think the, the full title is The Bloody Tenet of Persecution for Cause of Conscious Discussed in a Conference Between Truth and Peace. <laughs> Do book titles used to be just like... <laughs> unnecessarily verbose um and that definitely i didn't realize uh, you know until just just a little bit ago uh preparing for this i didn't realize that that there were writings from roger williams so i'm definitely very intrigued of, of maybe seeing if if that's available online or if i can track down a on logos or something <laughs> perhaps <laughs> um but yeah i think that uh definitely in in all times i think but um you know i don't even really want to say especially the current sort of cultural moment that we're in around conversations of justice, equality, um, relations between people of different races and different um, backgrounds of, of all different kinds. It, it's not like just because people are reassessing the statues we have free, you know, a lot in the last few weeks that somehow makes Roger Williams more significant or somehow makes these issues more important. Um, but at the same time, these things are on a lot of people's minds in the public conversation. So maybe it is a particularly good time to sort of dive into people that we might not know about, like Roger Williams. You know, I didn't know much other than just that, oh, yeah, he was that guy that founded Providence. Because right. I went to the Roger Williams Zoo growing up, so I, like, know about that or whatever. But, like, that's not really the legacy that I think his name is worth remembering right. for. Um, so, yeah, I would I would recommend those those quick and easy online resources to start um and uh, i'm definitely interested to learn more about him and and you know i'm really glad that we just through seeing his name and realizing where we were i think it's really kind of fun to be able to i mean because now we we have recorded a christians of history episode you know on location in a way which is kind of fun (laughs) (laughs) in his hometown well his founded town um yeah so yeah anything else you want to wrap up I mean, Roger Williams. Say it's, yeah, it's cool to see. I, I, again, everyone has obviously sin in their life. Everyone's going to have those, you know, blind spots or whatever we're going to call it as far as our theology, our doctrine. And I don't know, I thought it was cool to see that, you know, his city became a haven for Jews, for Baptists, for Quakers, um, even for Catholics. I right. Think. <laughs> <laughs> right. So for people seeking, you know, f- freedom from persecution. And it's cool to see um, a Christian sort of being the one who's who's spearheading that, and it's it's cool to see what what he believed in, what he fought for, and if only more people were like that, who knows <laughs> where our country would be now? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's Christians of History episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions. Um, any thoughts that you had from today's episode or any other uh, ideas for future people we can highlight and research and feature on Christians of History episodes who's from your hometown do you have somebody that you want us to talk about yeah I don't know I don't know the spread of of hometown listenership I don't don't know if there are any you know exciting um, Christians of History I was trying to think of another (laughs) way to say it but that's that makes the most sense um we would love to hear from you about any of those things. Um, you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter with just updates on any announcements or upcoming episodes. Um, 
continue, please, to, to uh, check out logos.com slash doxologypodcast for more information from our sponsor, Logos Bible Software, and more information on their various packages of, of Bible study resources and tools to help, um, whether you're sermon prepping, writing papers in seminary, or just trying to study the Bible in a way that is uh, deep and um, you know edifying, and, and you really can't go wrong with Logos Bible Software. Um, So thank you again for sticking with us through this episode, and we look forward to hearing you. And uh, while we may not be recording in person, we will still be recording and getting back to you. uh, What's today? Today today is Monday, but Friday in the future, (laughs) next Tuesday. All right. (laughs) See you guys. Peace. Peace.